following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. We are going to be looking in Matthew chapter 19. And if you were with us last week, we began looking at this passage on the great question about divorce. And so... We're going to pick up uh, kind of part two of what we started last week. So let me read uh, from Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 12. Matthew 19, 3 through 12. And Pharisees came up to him uh, to test him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this, saying, But only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the Let the one who is able to receive uh, this receive it. Uh, I've titled this, this message, uh, Happily Ever After. Uh, and uh, it comes from uh, the world of fairy tales, and we, we like fairy tales, and we enjoy, uh, uh, we enjoy the story, right? And, and we keep remaking. In fact, Disney keeps coming out with remakes of, of fairy tales because we like them, right? We like, uh, we like how it ends, right? We like this idea of happily ever after. And, of course, we know how fairy tales work. Uh, there's a fair maiden who meets a uh, handsome and charming prince. And at some point, there's some conflicts to overcome, little things like dragons or spells to be broken or wicked witches who must be conquered, uh, sometimes opposition from a parent who is uh, preventing them from falling in love. But the prince overcomes. He, uh, he conquers. He kills the dragon. He somehow breaks the spell. He defeats the wicked witch. And they fall in love, and they are married, and they what? They live happily ever after. Um, and, and we like uh, fairy tales because we want to believe this is possible. Right? We want to believe that uh, we can have a life where we live happily ever after, that there might be problems and difficulties, but uh, the, the dragon's going to get slain, and the wicked witch is going to get destroyed. And in the end, we... Uh, we can have this life of happiness, uh, and, and we want it to be our own story. Uh, but, of course, with the, hap- with the, with the fairy tales, it, you know, there's always the picture of the, the great glorious wedding scene, 
and they lived happily ever after, and then comes right after that, the end, right? The end. Um, and, and we never see what happens next, right? Does it really work out? Do they really live happily ever after? Um, well, uh, what we don't see is that um, it's not just the dragons outside that are a problem. It's the dragons they bring into their marriage that become a problem. Like, we don't discover that actually, uh, not long after they were married, the, the fair prince turns into the dragon, right? Or the, 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 the maiden becomes the wicked witch. Um, and, and so it doesn't always end uh, maybe the way we, we hope it would. Uh, and and, and uh, because of our, our hope for this idea of happily ever after, I think oftentimes uh, when, when marriage doesn't work out for us, we end up married to, to somebody who, who is not who we thought they were. Uh, who it, it's not as easy as we thought. And um, that happily ever after doesn't just work out as naturally or as easily as we thought. Well, we can get the idea that I must have married the wrong person. right? That's the problem. I didn't marry the, the right person. And they turned out to be somebody very different. They turned out to be a dragon or a wicked witch. Um, and so the solution, if I'm going to have a happily ever after, is I've got to get out of this marriage and find that right person because surely they're out there somewhere. And so we think the answer is to end the relationship and start over. And of course, uh, for those of us in the church who, uh, who live by the word, we know that's not true, but that's certainly the, the mentality or thought of the world we live in. And we live in a day and age where uh, divorce is widely, and I would say universally accepted uh, in the world as, as the real solution to the problem. Your marriage isn't working out. They didn't turn out to be the person you thought. They're not fulfilling you as a person. Uh, you, you end it. And you try to find a new person who can be that Mr. or Mrs. Right. Uh, and if you start over, uh, it, uh, maybe the next time you'll find that heavily, heavily, happily ever after. I can say that. Happily ever after. Um, uh or what's even becoming more common in today's world is that, uh, is, is that this, this idea is that there is no such thing as happily ever after. There's only happiness for a moment. And so we don't even get married. We just live together because we know that it's not going to last. And so we live with an, uh, a person as long as they can make us happy with the expectation that eventually they will disappoint us and we will need to move on and find someone new. And so for that reason, in the, uh, the modern world, uh, many people don't ever want to get married. And they just uh, live together uh, as long as it works. And when it stops working, uh, they can easily walk out and try to find somebody new. Um, then, of course, you got, on the other hand, uh, Christians and uh, pastors and churches who, uh, who would say, some would say, it's never appropriate or right to get divorced no matter what. Like, divorce is always wrong. And it doesn't matter how bad your marriage is or how challenging or difficult. Uh, God just wants you to be married no matter what. And, um, uh, and then the question is, does God, does God really care about our happiness? Maybe happiness ever after is just a, a, a dream. It's a false illusion, a false hope. And, and the fact is that uh, God doesn't really care about your happiness he just wants you to endure your marriage and uh, slug through it 
uh, and he doesn't really care if you're miserable your whole life. Of course, for most people, that's also a pretty tough thing to accept and a pretty difficult uh, way to approach life. Well, I'm miserable in my marriage, but it's just the way it is, and I'm just going to have to be miserable, but that's what God called me to. Uh, but I think both of those extremes are, are probably wrong or are wrong. Um, but what is, what is the answer? What is right? What is allowed? Is, is divorce ever permitted? Is it ever allowed? Or is it never allowed? Uh, and, and the bigger question is, does God really want us to be happy? Is uh, ha- happily ever after just a dream? Or is it something that God actually wants for people who are his children? Is it a fairy tale and an empty hope? Uh, or is it a promise that God uh, calls us to? Well, um, this is a very difficult passage, and I've, re- I've, I've wrestled with uh, preparing this morning's message, and doing it online makes it even more difficult. Uh, but let's try to tackle some of these issues and see what Jesus teaches about uh, this question in Matthew 19. Um, and, and the first, uh, first we see, uh, just to do a little bit of review, uh, it says in verse 3 that the Pharisees came up to Jesus to uh, test him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And so the question the Pharisees put before Jesus is, uh, is it permissible, is it allowed to ever get a divorce? And, uh, of course, the Pharisees are not asking this question because they're really wondering or because they, uh, they, they're not sure what the answer is. Um, they're asking this question because they want to put Jesus to the test. They're trying to trip Jesus up or get him to say something that they could accuse him of being a false teacher or being against the law. Uh, so their motives are not pure, um, but it is a question. And it was one that was uh, greatly debated in, in, in Jesus' day. But these Pharisees uh, were convinced they knew the right answer. Right? They're not asking Jesus because they, they don't know. They, uh, they think they know the answer. And for most of the Pharisees we know in, in Jesus' day, it had become super widely accepted uh, that you could divorce for any reason. And their question, question technically is not, is it okay to d- divorce? But is it okay to divorce for any and every reason? And as I shared last week, there was two uh, schools or camps on this question. One uh, was the school of Shammai, who, who said um, it's, it's permissible uh, only in cases of divorce. Uh, I'm sorry, divorce is permissible only in cases of adultery or sexual immorality. Um, uh, Then there was a school of Hillel, which basically said, if your wife displeases you in any and every way, if she burns your breakfast, if she does anything uh, that that makes you unhappy or displeases you, you are free to uh, divorce her. Um, You can get rid of them. You can... uh, swap her out for a better model, right? And thus pursue your happily ever after. Uh, so they ask, they ask with rather uh, uh, impure motives. But uh, Jesus uh, answers initially by holding up God's ideal design for marriage. Uh, Jesus says, uh, from the very beginning, God made them male and female, that he created man and woman for each other. And that God's purpose is that they would leave father and mother and be joined together in this union where they would become one flesh. An idea is here of being glued together. And it pictured both a physical union, 
but also this emotional soul bonding of becoming uh, something they were not before, something new and unique as a, as a couple joined together as one. And so it's described as the two becoming one flesh. Uh, and in, in, in marriage, there's this union that uh, I couldn't begin to explain, but the Bible... So there's this union, this, this coming together, becoming uh, not two, but one. There's a, a level of intimacy and longevity and permanence that exceeds uh, every other human relationship. Um, and and uh, in this teaching, both in Genesis, uh, which uh, Jesus quotes, as well as what Jesus explains here, that sexual intimacy is the glue that binds a couple together. And so preserving and protecting this union involved uh, sexual purity. Uh, the Bible teaches clearly that uh, God designed uh, sexual intimacy to be uh, practiced in the context of a marriage relationship uh, and not outside. That it is exclusively for a husband and wife who are united and come together in marriage. And that it's actually this union that uh, God brings them together and designed uh, to make them one flesh. Uh, and so for that reason... Uh, uh, God said, do not let man separate what God has joined together. Right? What, what man has joined, let not, what God has joined, let not man separate. So uh, that, that, that has two implications. One, uh, human uh, institutions, courts or churches or uh, legal entities aren't, aren't given the right to, to separate a husband and wife in divorce. But beyond that, it means that we're not to separate ourselves through sexual infidelity, right? By uh, breaking that, that sacred bond that's created in marriage by, uh, through, through sexual immorality or unfaithfulness. So that's what Jesus holds up, that God created this very special gift for us to have life with a, 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 another person, the opposite sex, in, in, in marriage. Um, so, so the... The Pharisees probably expected this answer, and so they're ready with the second follow-up question. And that's what we really want to look at this morning, is their second question. And they said, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? Uh, so uh, it's interesting how they interpret this, and this comes from De- Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, um, uh, where Moses did not actually command them. He did not say, if your wife is not uh, fully pleasing to you, you're commanded to divorce her. Okay, it doesn't actually say that. Uh, in fact, the context is very different. As I shared last week, uh, Moses says that if you're divorced and you remarry and your second wife uh, uh, does not make you happy and you divorce her, you may not go back and marry your first wife. Right? And that's really what the context of this is. But they put their own spin on it. Uh, they had twisted and turned it around to say, see, God, uh, Moses is commanding us to divorce. If our marriage isn't what we want it to be, if we're not finding happiness in our marriage, Moses commanded us that you have to get divorced and seek that happiness in another person. And what's interesting here is that most Jews, uh, in fact, probably almost all Jews, believe this. And... Um, uh, live this way. And, and we kind of get the sense for that in the, the, the disciples' question after Jesus gives his answer. The disciples said to Jesus, 
If this is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. In other words, the disciples are saying, if you can't get divorced, who would get married in the first place? So the disciples themselves clearly believed that this was, this, this was the way it had to be, that there wasn't another option, that if divorce wasn't readily available, marriage was impossible. And that's because it was really the majority view, and it's what people in Jesus' day widely held. And what's really interesting here is how we, we will pick and choose, we will twist Scripture to fit what, uh, what our world around us accepts and what society holds as truth. Uh, we have this idea that if the majority uh, follows it, it must be right. Uh, majority rule wins, so to speak. And so, in, in Jesus' day, this was true with divorce. Even though Scripture was pretty clear about its not being something they could pursue so easily, because it becomes so widely accepted in society, they um, convinced themselves that Moses had made this uh, law. Um, Of course, we as Christians never do this, right? We never uh, adopt the standards of the world around us and make it biblical truth, do we? Or do we? (laughs) Uh, It's interesting, in a recent uh, survey of um, evangelical Christians. Okay, so these are not just Christians like a lot of people call themselves Christians, but these are people who would go to church regularly, who believe the Bible is true, and who, uh, have, who would claim to have some kind of daily, consistent relationship with Christ. Okay, Of this group, uh, in a recent survey, uh, ending in 2000, uh, 2018, so pretty recent, right? Um, it showed that only, only one in three evangelical Christians said sex outside of marriage is always wrong. The other two-thirds, the other 60%, said, oh, sex outside of marriage is okay. Right? Clearly against the teachings of Scripture. Uh, among those never married in the same study, among those never married fundamentalists or, or Bible-believing Christians... Um, 86% of females and 82% of males had had uh, one opposite-sex sexual partner since the age of 18. Right, so over 80% of people who call themselves Bible-believing Christians were involved in, in premarital sexual relationships. Right? Uh, of those, and that's, that's of those 18. Those um, percentages were even higher for those uh, under 30. Uh, so what's the point? Uh, we love to let society form our values instead of Scripture, right? And that's exactly what the Pharisees had done. Uh, uh, Divorce had become the only solution to their failing marriages. Uh, It was widely held in, in Roman society, and so the Jews had adopted the wider value of society and they had found a way to put the stamp of the Bible on it. And we see people doing that all the time today. Uh, taking uh, God's Word and twisting it to fit uh, the norms of the world around us. Um, and so the disciples, even they are like, what? You can't get divorced? Right? That's how pro- prominent it was. Um, so so uh, uh, to make matters worse, okay, to kind of... Uh, take this out a further step. Jesus gives an exception here. Okay, so Jesus does concede here that there are times when divorce is permissible. 
Right? He's, he, does, he does not make a blanket statement that you can never, ever, ever divorce. In fact, that's what he says in verse 9. He says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. All right, so, uh, so Jesus does give an out. He says there is one exception when divorce is allowed, when it's permitted according to the, to the law. And that uh, exception is when there is, uh, he says, sexual immorality. Now, he uses a very uh, interesting word here, uh, and he uses his words very carefully. He does not say except for adultery. There was a Greek word uh, that meant adultery, and he does not use that word. He uses a broader word, and it's actually the word we're familiar with, the word porneia, uh, from which we get the, the, the idea of pornography. And it's a Greek word that, that encompassed all kinds of sexual impurity and sexual immorality. In fact, it could even extend beyond other kinds of immorality besides just sexual immorality. And, and certainly what Jesus uh, probably has in mind here is anything that uh, would be sexually compromising. So Jesus uh, and, and, and the, uh, the Pharisees would have, would have certainly affirmed this, even the more, the more strict school of Shammai that uh, if it came out that your spouse had had premarital sex and was not a virgin when you were married, that that would be grounds for divorce. So it certainly includes the whole scope of premarital sex. It certainly uh, would include adultery. So if your spouse was unfaithful in your marriage and had had some kind of marital affair, uh, that would be grounds for divorce. Uh, But I think even in our day and age, uh, in, in this word covered by this word pornea would be would be pornography. So if, uh, if a spouse has, uh, has some kind of sexual addiction, they're looking at online porn, um, that also would be grounds for divorce. Uh, so, so, uh, so Jesus here makes an exception, right? And here's the deal. Uh, that, section, that, that exception is any time that there's been sexual immorality brought into the marriage relationship. And the reason for it uh, is that... Uh, uh, the, the ideal of marriage that Jesus put forward is that uh, that bond is made through sexual union, and if you have sex or if you compromise that that bond with uh, sexual immorality outside of marriage, it, it somehow dissolves that bond, right? So, so Jesus says it's permissible because, in a sense, you've already broken the bond of marriage. Um, so, so here's the problem for us: like, if that's true. Is Jesus saying here that uh, if, if there's been some kind of sexual immorality, that, yeah, you have just grounds for divorce, go for it. That's how what he's saying here. If that's true, then uh, in our world today, anybody could get divorced, right? I mean, think about this. If 80% of evangelical Christians have had at least one sexual partner before marriage, 80%, right? That means 80, 80% of us already have grounds for divorce. So is Jesus saying, yeah, you know... Uh, yeah, go for it. You've already messed it up. You might as well just get divorced. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Well, I don't, I don't think so. Right? I don't think that's his point. Uh, so, so what is he really saying then? What, what is Jesus' stance on divorce? Well, um, uh, it comes down to this verse. Verse 8 is, is the core of what Jesus teaches, and he says this. He says, because, he said, it's be, it is because of your hardness of heart that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. And notice Jesus doesn't say command. Jesus says, Jesus says Moses allowed it, not commanded it. 
And it was because of the hardness of your own heart. But from the beginning, it was not so. Right? That's not God's original design or intent or purpose. Uh, he says it's because of the hardness of your own heart. Uh, in other words, Jesus is saying, um, uh, you are the problem. Right? The problem is not with your spouse, it's not with your marriage, it is with your own heart. Uh, and he uses this term, hard-hearted. And if you think back through the Old Testament, uh, one of the first hard-hearted cases of a, of a hard hardness of heart that should come to our mind is Pharaoh. Right? Remember when Moses was trying to lead the people out, and he went to Pharaoh and he said, God said, let my people go, and Pharaoh said no. And repeatedly, uh, Pharaoh said no, and, it, and the Bible says it was because of the hardness of his heart. And hardness of heart is always a picture of somebody who is rejecting God and his plan and his way. Right? So hardness of heart is not just a minor sin. It is a big deal. It's a person who is stubbornly resistant to God's plan and who is rejecting God's way and, and in fact, rejecting God himself. And that's what Pharaoh did. So, so Jesus is saying, look, you're getting divorced and you're wanting to get divorced because you are hard-hearted, stubborn people who are rejecting God and his plan and his purpose. It is sin and rebellion in your own heart that is the issue, not that your wife burnt your toast. Right? That's not the issue. Right? And, and really what Jesus is talking about here is, is really far beyond just divorce and marriage. Right? The message of this passage is just not to married people to stick it out in your marriage. Uh, he is actually uh, talking about a much bigger problem, and the problem is our, our hard-hearted, rebellious heart against God. Uh, and, and it comes down to uh, the great deception of Satan from the very beginning. Uh, and the, the, the deception, the, the folly of Satan, if you remember back in the Garden of Eden, is that uh, happiness... There, there is happiness, this hap- happily ever after that we want, lies somehow outside of our current circumstance or situation. Uh, remember with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Uh, God had given them this beautiful garden and he had planted all kinds of trees in it and plants with fruit and food for them. And God said, you may eat of every single plant in the garden except one. And that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, and, and Adam and Eve were initially okay with that. Lots of choices, lots of food, lots of uh, things to enjoy. But Satan came along and he said, oh, you know, you're missing out, right? Because there's that one tree you can't have. And I'm telling you, true happiness is not in your current situation. Uh, until you eat of that tree, you're going to be missing out on something. And that's been Satan's lie ever since the beginning. Uh, that somehow you cannot be happy in your current situation. There's something about your current situation or circumstance that's, that's causing you unhappiness. And the solution is to look beyond to a different situation, to change your circumstances. And then you can be happily ever after. So... Uh, uh, if, if people are single, uh, they could be thinking constantly, wow, I can't really be truly happy as long as I'm single. 
Right? I've got to get married. Only if I'm married can I really be happy and fulfilled. <laughs> um, a person is married, right? Uh, but they find out that their, their spouse, their husband, their wife is not what they thought. And they think, I can't be happy in these circumstances. I can't be happy with this person. Only if I get a new husband or a new wife will I really be fulfilled and happy. Because happiness lies beyond me. And I need to go f- somewhere else to find it. Um, uh, it, it or uh, if they're unfulfilled in their marriage, they may think, well, I, I know I can't get divorced, but I can, I can, I can have an affair. Right? My wife isn't enough. My husband isn't enough. Um, but this other person, they bring, they, they make me excited. I, I get, uh, my, my heart races when I'm around that person. Surely if I were with them, I would be happy. And of course, nowadays, uh, so accessible is, is uh, illicit sexual experiences online, right? It's such an attraction. And people think, you know, I'm missing out. If I don't, if I don't partake of that, uh, I'm missing out. I'm not really going to be happy. And the Bible says this is, this is lust of the flesh, right? It is desiring for some happiness, something outside of my current situation that I must have to be fulfilled and satisfied. But always these things are in rebellion to God's design and plan, right? What Satan puts forward as, as the hope for happiness always requires rejecting God's design and what God created and what God intended, and ultimately rejecting God himself. Right? And we see this even nowadays with things as simple as being male or female. Right? More and more people are saying, well, uh, gender is up for grabs. Yeah, I was born male, but I'm not happy being male. Surely happiness for me lies in becoming and living female. If I do that, maybe I will be happy, or vice versa. Uh, and the world says it's just a matter of sexual preference. Uh, but it's not a matter of sexual preference. It's a matter of sin preference, right? That's what it's about, is choosing my style of sin. But Scripture is clear that it is, it is because of our hardness of heart. It's because we have rejected God and his design and plan and purpose for our life. So, so what is Jesus really saying here? Um, the, the, the Pharise- so you've got to understand, the Pharisees come with this question about divorce. And so, of course, Jesus answers their question about divorce. But the point Jesus is making is really much bigger than just marriage or divorce, if ju- divorce is ever justified. Uh, Jesus' point is this. Uh, he is trying to show the, the Pharisees how guilty they are before God of gross and terrible sin. Uh, remember who these Pharisees are. Right? The Pharisees were a group of people who took the Scripture very seriously. And they took the law and the commandments very seriously. And so we, uh, G- Jesus talks about them tithing the mint and the dill. Okay, so these are guys who had little house gardens, had big gardens, but they had little, little maybe pots in their house where they would grow a little dill plant with a few little leaves. And, and so they were so serious about the law that they would tithe the mint and dill. So if they picked ten leaves off of their dill plant, they would tithe one of the leaves right, to make sure they were fulfilling the law. Uh, there was a group of Pharisees called bruisers. 
And it wasn't because they played football or rugby. Uh, it was because they, uh, they would go around walking into walls, right? And the reason they walked into walls is because they, if they saw a, a beautiful woman, they would turn the other way very dramatically to make, make the point that they were not looking at them. And they would plow into a wall uh, hard to show, see, I ran into a wall and not to look at a beautiful woman and be tempted to lust after her. Right? These are guys who took this super seriously. And so when they come to Jesus, they are saying, look, look at us. I mean, we are the, we are the image of holiness and righteousness. Look at how we live our lives. Right? And they believe they were so good and they were justified before God and certainly they were saved. Right? And, and so, so Jesus, so Jesus says, no, no. Um, and, he, and he puts this up, exception up, right? He says, I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, imagine this. Okay, here's a Pharisee who has spent their whole life following the law to the T, to the letter. And they were convinced that they stood before God blameless and guiltless, right? And they've accepted this the social teaching that, yeah, divorce is okay. Moses commanded it after all. It's in the law. Right? And so they're divorced maybe once, maybe twice, maybe five times. right? And they believe they're justified in their, in their lifestyle. And Jesus says to them, I tell you, if you, if you divorced your wife apart from anything but sexual, uh, sexual immorality, you are guilty of adultery. Right? And first for the, for the Pharisees, I mean, this is the worst. It would be, it'd probably be better to call him a serial killer, right? Adultery was a, a huge sin for these guys. And here Jesus is saying, you're guilty of adultery. And here's the worst thing of all. If you've been married, maybe one of these guys had been married two or three times, because um, it was so commonly practiced, what can you do to fix it? Right? Uh, divorce is what got you into the problem. Can you divorce your current wife? No. If you stay with her, are you living in sin? Yes, you're living in adultery. What can you do? You are trapped in an impossible situation you cannot correct or fix or get out of. And that's exactly Jesus' point, right? That's exactly what Jesus is trying to do to these Pharisees. He's trying to demonstrate, look, you guys are guilty of great sin. You are guilty of adultery before God because of your hardness of heart. You don't really care about God. You are not really following God. Uh, You have bought the lie of Satan that happiness and joy lies beyond you. And you've you've bought into the world system that I I can find that perfect uh, fair maiden, that perfect prince out there, is going to make me happy. And, and you are guilty of, of one of the most serious sins in the commands. You are guilty of adultery. Um, and so it's no wonder that, uh, that the, the response of the disciples is, we don't hear what the Pharisees say, and it's, it's likely that the Pharisees, uh, they, didn't, they didn't believe Jesus and they wrote off what he said. But it's significant what the disciples say. If this is the case with a man as his wife, it's better not to marry. In other words, this is hopeless. This is hopeless. Right? Uh, 
we might as well just stay single. Uh, which is significant that Jesus, um, they thought they were being maybe funny or being, uh, being desperate or being hopeless. And Jesus says, yeah, actually, singleness is a, is, is, is a worthy goal, right? And, and the reason comes back to the very heart of this issue, that happiness is not something found beyond us. It's finding uh, the happiness that God has for us in the very situation we're in. So if it's given to us to be single, you can be absolutely happy and be single. You can have the full joy of God and be single. But likewise, you can find the full joy of God and happiness in the marriage you are in, even if you think you're married to the wrong person. Uh, so so uh, it, it ends there, and if we stop there, we really wouldn't get the whole picture or the whole story. Uh, and to do that, we need to look a little bit more at the context. Um, and so if you look at the passages around this, uh, the story account right before this, which uh, uh, Mike Springer talked about a, couple, a few weeks ago before Christmas, uh, was the parable of the unforgiving servant. A man who had sinned against his master so much that he owed this tremendous debt. A debt that was so huge it was impossible to pay off. Right? Uh, and, and yet the master did the unthinkable and he forgave the impossible debt, right? And of course, this unjust servant uh, uh, was not grateful for what his master had done for him, but he turns around and he throws in jail somebody who owes him a trifling amount, a tiny amount, right? Uh, after this, in, in, in chapter, the rest of chapter 19, uh, Walt uh, did a great job sharing about the rich young ruler, and in the story of the rich young ruler, what happens? He comes and he says, what must I do to be saved? And if you remember, Jesus said, he says, good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus said, there's no one good but God. But there's no one who measures up to God's standard. But if you're talking about what you must do to be saved, you must keep the law. And he says, well, well what parts? And Jesus says, well, you know, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, I, check, 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 check. I've done it. I'm good. Right? And Jesus says, if you would be perfect, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the man walked away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And Jesus said, I, I, uh, only with great difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and the disciples are astonished at this saying, and they say, then who can be saved? Who can be saved, right? And, and the, the, the parable of the, uh, or the, the account of, of Jesus' teaching on divorce falls in the midst of that. And what's the, point, what's the point Matthew's making as he stitches these stories together? Well, it's just simply this, that uh, if you were if going to try to save yourself by keeping the law, you are in big trouble, right? It can't be done. Uh, we, we would end up with a debt that's so impossible, there's no way we could ever pay it off. Right? The Pharisees thought they were so good, but as it turns out, they had blindly stumbled into one of the worst sins in their thinking, the sin of adultery. Uh, they had condemned themselves as guilty before God. Uh, like the rich young ruler, uh, who can be saved? And what was Jesus' answer to the disciples? 
With man, it's impossible. But with God, it's possible. All things are possible. And what's really cool is in the midst of all these stories, uh, between uh, the conversation on divorce and the rich young man is this short account in verse 13. Then children were brought to Jesus that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus' point is that the children don't come with the ability to do anything. Right? Children don't have the ability to do all the right things, to uh, make all the right decisions, to live a life that's perfect under the law. Uh, but the the, the kingdom belongs to them because they come in their humility and in their helplessness and they, they have a dependence on God. They know they need him. Uh, and, and, and Jesus is really setting the Pharisees up here to hear that message. He's saying, look, uh, you guys are, I don't know how a better way to say this. I tried to come up with a better word than screwed. I just couldn't. You're screwed. You know, you're screwed. That's, that's a bad word. I'm sorry. It's, it's probably not the most appropriate, but it just says it so well, right? You're screwed. You are condemned before God. You are guilty. You are trapped. You are guilty of adultery. And, and there is no hope. If, if you are going to stand before God on the basis of your own goodness, you are in serious trouble, my friends. And, and that's what Jesus is saying here. Uh, but, but back to our original question, does God care about our happiness? Well, absolutely, right? Jesus came so that we could have joy and that uh, his joy might be in us, John 15 says, and that our joy would be full. God cares about our happiness and God wants to restore joy. But the message of this passage is this. The joy is not in a situation beyond us, right? The problem is not if I'm single, I need to get married. If I'm married, I need to get single. If I have the wrong wife, I need to get a new wife, right? If I'm sexually unfulfilled with my wife, I need to uh, be fulfilled through pornography, right? That's the lie of Satan. But the, 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 the truth of the gospel is that Jesus came to redeem us and that through the cross, uh, we can be made new, right? The problem here was their, their heart was hard. And uh, they didn't just need uh, to tweak it a little bit. They needed a whole new kind of heart. They needed a transformed heart and a transformed life. And the message of the cross is that through the, through the work of Christ on the cross, uh, we are cleansed from every sin. So in, in the cross, Jesus offers to these Pharisees who are guilty of adultery, uh, who are guilty of great moral failure, grace and forgiveness. A debt they could not, it was impossible for them to pay on their own. But through the cross, he offers cleansing and forgiveness. Um, but not by saying that it's not a sin. By not by saying, well, divorce is okay. It's okay. It's socially acceptable. Uh, not by saying sex is okay. Uh, we live in a day and an age where we have made sex an idol. And the world around us wants to tell us it's okay. It doesn't matter. Um, and, it call, and, and Christians all over are worshiping that idol. Uh, they are worshiping the idol of sex. Um, 
Jesus can forgive us, but not because it's not a sin. Because it is a sin. And it's a great grievance against God, and it wrecks what God designed and created in, for us in, in marriage, and in the world, and in our own lives. Uh, we, we think we're good. People think they're good, but they're not. We have, we have soiled and destroyed God's best and most beautiful gifts by turning it upside down and inside out. And, and we are guilty. But, but there is grace at the cross. Right? That's the amazing message that, that Jesus puts forward to us. Uh, there is grace and forgiveness at the cross. Um, and so, uh, through Jesus, we can have a new and transformed heart. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amazing promise for us that through the work of Jesus, that old, hard, rebellious heart that, that rejects God and that seeks for joy everywhere but in him is replaced with a new heart. Right? And so Paul says in Romans 12, too, Do not be conformed to this world. Do not adopt the world's standard for right and wrong and morality. Do not accept what the world says is okay. Instead, be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Right. So, so we've given this new heart, new potential, a new way to live life, but we need to actively uh, work at being transformed to adopting God's design and purpose and plan for our life instead of living by the standard of the world. Uh, Jesus calls us to have the right source of joy. Right? So here's the thing. Here's the bottom line of the sermon. I'm almost done. But here it is. Uh, our, our, our ultimate problem is not marriage, divorce, single, uh, being unfulfilled in our marriage because of our partner. The problem is we are trying to find joy apart from God. We have believed Satan's lie. Um, but the truth is that God wants us to be happy and to live happily ever after in our marriage or in our singleness by bringing his joy into that relationship, right? So we find joy in God. We find joy in Christ alone. We find joy in knowing him and in being his child. And then we bring with us that joy into a relationship. We bring that into our singleness. We bring it into our gender, <laughs> like and I know people struggle with their gender and with, with all of that. I'm telling you, uh, God wants you to be joyful with the way he made you, right? And so we need to find our joy in him and not worry about our situation or our circumstances, right? Because we are fulfilled and are filled with joy in Christ in knowing him and in being his child and in being uh, the great uh, recipients, the great uh, heirs of his grace. Um, and I think that's what Jesus' message here is. Um, the problem is not your situation. Whatever it is, it's your own heart. And the solution is to uh, reset your heart in right relationship with God through the wonderful work of Jesus on the cross. Uh, but as we close, let me just uh, address a couple quick and practical questions, because <laughs> it is kind of important. It is such a big deal in our day. So many people are divorced and are wrestling with divorce or have been divorced. 
we need to answer this question, can Christians get divorced? What if I'm already divorced? Uh, what if my spouse is guilty of adultery? In fact, maybe they're in an adulterous relationship that they refuse to stop and end. Or maybe you're in, a, in a, 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 an abusive marriage where you, you are being physically harmed in that relationship. Uh, maybe you're in a marriage where your husband or wife is in bondage to sexual addictions and they refuse to change. Uh, what if your spouse divorces you? Like, you don't want it, but they leave you, right? Uh, does that mean you are somehow guilty of some sin? Uh, well, uh, I think the, the heart of Jesus, and again, the question that Jesus asked was not that question, and not from that heart. Uh, but I think uh, if Jesus were asked that question, uh, he would say, yes, there are times when divorce is unavoidable. Because of the hardness of heart, and maybe not yours, but the world we live in, we live in a world where there is a lot of sin, where there is a lot of sexual immorality, where there's a lot of forces pulling marriages apart. And it may be that times, at times divorce is unavoidable. Um, but, but here's the thing that I think Jesus would also say. I think he would say, but, but don't think that divorce is going to solve your problems. Because that's not really the problem. Right? Changing your circumstances is not the issue. The issue is your heart. Right? So first, deal with your heart. First, make sure that your heart is truly pursuing God and following Him. And that you are absolutely trusting Him to work out His plan and purpose in your life. <coughs> Anchor your joy in Him. Right? And it may mean that God gives you a joy in a very difficult marriage. It may mean that your wife leaves you and you need to find joy in being single. Um, it may mean that, that when you change your heart, uh, it turns out that you are most of the problem in your marriage and, and your marriage gets healed and your marriage is changed because instead of looking to change the circumstance, you changed you. Right? And God may bring healing into that. Uh, maybe you are divorced. Maybe you are uh, plagued by sexual immorality from your past, or maybe even in your present. Right? Uh, the good news is there is grace. Right? Jesus' blood covers every sin. And if you've been divorced once or twice or ten times, it's covered. Right? It's covered. And, and if you are in a marriage now where there has been sexual immorality, or there's been divorce, God can redeem and will redeem your marriage. Right? And he will sanctify it. That's the work of the cross. But he will do it not by so much changing your circumstances as, as changing your hearts. Right? As you serve and honor and follow Christ, as you trust that his plan is good, that God does want your happiness. And if I follow him with all my heart and soul and mind and strength, uh, there will be joy in, in, in God's plan and in his purpose. And, and, and he will lead us step by step to take the right action. And, and if divorce is something God leads you, he will make it clear. Right? Or if enduring through a difficult marriage is what he calls you to, he will empower you to do that with joy. Uh, let's pray.
Lord Jesus, how easily we look to our circumstances around us and, and we believe the lie of Satan and the lie of the world that our unhappiness is, is, is the result of our circumstances, of the situation we're in. Uh, and we are, are so slow to admit that the real problem is our own heart and our own life, our own sin, our own seeking for joy apart from you. And Lord, help us to uh, first see that in our own life, the ways that we do that. And uh, Lord, give us a heart of repentance. Lord, may we confess and repent that sin of believing uh, the lie of Satan that uh, somehow sex will make me happy. Somehow a new spouse or partner will make me happy. Somehow getting out of my marriage will make me happy. Lord, help us see that the, the, the greatest problem is our own heart, our, our own unwillingness to believe that uh, true joy and true fulfillment in life is, is found in you alone, that there is no other place where we can know joy outside of a right relationship with you. Lord, may we, may we know and experience the full power of the cross in cleansing and washing us from all this junk, from all our sins, from all of our idols. And Lord, whatever place we're in today, whether it's married, single, struggling, Lord, may we, may we lay that before you and may you redeem it with your grace. Lord, may we be the kind of people who bring your joy into every relationship, into our marriage, into our, our relationship with our kids, our friends, our co-workers. Uh, because we are rooted in you, and because our heart and life is being transformed radically by the power of the cross and by the wonder of grace and forgiveness, uh, so that we become uh, forgiving people, so that we become truly loving people, because we've loved you first and known your love. Lord, help us, we pray, and we just thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.